0: You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Greetings, fellow believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. Will there be peace and security at the time of the second coming of Jesus? Today I will teach from 1 Thessalonians 5 1 through 3. Now, as to the periods and times, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know accurately that the day of the Lord is coming just like a thief in the night, while they are saying, Peace and security. Then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. There are six items I want to develop from this passage. First item has to do with the day of the Lord. Now this is the first of only five times that the term day of the Lord is used in the New Testament. Our book, First Thessalonians, was written in 55 A.D., 2 Thessalonians was written in 56 A.D., 1 Corinthians in about 58 A.D., Acts in 62 A.D., and 2 Peter in about 68 A.D. The term also occurs in the Old Testament about 15 times. So our frame of reference for this term must certainly be based on the Old Testament. But we also need to consider the context at the time of writing uh, when it's found in the New Testament. Now, even though Acts was written about 62 A.D., chronologically, the first oral reference to the day of the Lord is at Acts 2.20. And there, Peter quoted Joel 2.31. Acts 2.20 The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. Uh, Joel 2.31, Peter's quote described signs in the sun, moon and stars that will precede the arrival of the day of the Lord. And Jesus described the very same cosmic signs that will precede his second coming. He taught but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Luke's gospel includes some other factors. At Luke 21:25, there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress among nations in perplexity At the roaring of the sea and the waves. So, the signs that will immediately precede the coming of Jesus and the beginning of the day of the Lord will be darkness in the sun and moon and stars. There will be a massive meteorite shower, portrayed by stars falling. There will be earthquakes and oceanic turmoil. Now Jesus also taught that at this time, he will send forth his angels and they will gather together his elect out from the four winds, from the farthest end of earth to the farthest end of heaven, or the sky, according to Mark thirteen twenty-seven. Now it's clear from these passages that the day of the Lord will begin when Jesus returns and gathers together his elect ones out from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Paul's use of the term Day of the Lord here at 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 must take us back then to that most significant future event for the church, which has been its happy hope since the church began, and which Paul described in the verses immediately preceding 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. At 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17, he wrote, But we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you will not grieve as indeed the rest of mankind do, who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, so also God will bring with him those who have died through Jesus. For we say this to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have died. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, will, uh, who remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the, the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now, unless there is some other factor that identifies the day of the Lord, we should associate it with the event that paul just mentioned which is the coming of the lord to gather his people together to meet him in the sky furthermore at second thessalonians chapter 1 6 through chapter 2 verse 2 paul does the very same thing just a bit more specifically after describing the coming of the lord to bring relief to the church in verses 1 6 through 10 he then writes concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him that they should not be shaken by thinking that the day of the Lord has come. This effectively identifies the day of the Lord with the previously mentioned coming and gathering just as he had done in his first letter. The day of the Lord, then, is the event or period of time that begins when Jesus returns and gathers dead and living believers to himself, as is described at 1 Thessalonians 4. At Titus 2.13, it's called the happy hope, even the appearing of the glory of the great God and the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when it occurs, it will catch the unbelievers of the world off guard Or they will be living relatively carefree lives as they join the economic and religious system of the world ruler known as the man of lawlessness and the beast. Now, although the day of the Lord is not the subject today, I will give a more extended definition of the day of the Lord, which I think covers all the identifying marks for that period of time. The term day of the Lord refers to a period of time that will begin at the return of Jesus in the clouds of the sky. At which time the saints of all ages will be gathered for a meeting with the Lord in the air. It will occur at some unknown day and hour after the midpoint of Daniel's 70th week. At least five months before the end of the week. It will be announced through the signs in the sun, moon and stars. Severe earthquakes and oceanic disturbances the return of jesus and the arrival of the day of the lord is symbolized at the sixth seal vision of revelation 6 and the day is characterized by god's judgment upon the unbelieving world and the kingdom of the beast through the trumpet and bold judgments and will include the infamous battle of armageddon the second item i want to cover is the fact that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. This communicates the idea of unexpectedness and being unprepared. Those who are caught up in the economic and religious system of the beast during the tribulation won't be concerned about any second coming of Jesus. Just as Peter wrote, In the last days, Mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, "Where is the promise of his coming second Peter chapter three now, Paul described the influence of the beast or the man of lawlessness at second uh, Thessalonians two nine through eleven He will be the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders, and with the a deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false. At Revelation 13, 3, this deception is described as the whole world was amazed. The thief image then refers to what Jesus taught concerning the imminency factor of his second coming. However, the imminency factor is restricted to a particular season of human history and is not to be understood as imminent prior to that season. Jesus taught that his second coming would come within a recognizable season, but not at any known day or hour. He said, now learn the parable from the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. The all these things that he mentioned, identifies the season in which he will return. It is the season identified earlier in Matthew 24, 9 through 29 as the Great Tribulation. This Great Tribulation will be characterized by a great persecution against the church and against the Jewish people. For that matter, it will be directed against anyone who refuses to worship the beast. But it is also a season characterized by relative peace and security for those who do adopt beast worship. This will be a very large segment of the world's population, according to Revelation 13. In fact, it is likely that about three quarters of the earth will be living under the umbrella of the beast's economic policies. According to Revelation 6, 8. The beast system for economic stability, buying and selling, will provide resources to maintain a contented lifestyle for those who are living within the system. For those who do not live under that economic umbrella, there will be food shortages, famine. And because of those shortages, there will be plagues and intrusion of wild animals into civilization, not to mention the killing of one another, sword, in order to try to acquire resources. The death from these things, symbolized by the fourth seal, affects only about one-quarter of the geography of the earth. I suggest that this indicates that at least three-quarters of the earth will be part of the beast system, while the remaining one-quarter undergoes great hardship because of the beast's control of vital resources. This is further suggested by the language used at Revelation 13, 3 and 4 and 8 where we find, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, and they worshipped the beast, and all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. The term whole earth is certainly hyperbole to indicate a vast majority of the earth's population. We know that everyone does not worship the beast because there will be many believers living on the earth before the Lord's return and many converts after his return. Furthermore, the implementation of the beast's economic system will take time to complete. Uh, Certainly, the advances in computer technology will facilitate his success and will magnify the extent of his uh, geographical control but it still won't reach every single corner of the earth. Jesus taught concerning this uh, contented lifestyle of the beast worshipers as recorded at Matthew 24, 37 through 39. For the coming of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah. For as in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they didn't understand until the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. There is an indication of this peace and security also from Revelation 13, 17. And he provides that no one should be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. This indicates that if a person does, in fact, take the mark of the beast, he will then have access to buying and selling, so that he'll be living in a relative economic security, just like the time before the flood. This doesn't violate the harsh conditions mentioned at Revelation 6, 3-8, during the second through fourth seals, which occur during the reign of the beast, for those Harsh conditions are upon the ones who don't take the mark and don't worship the beast. As I mentioned earlier, three quarters of the earth will be free from the famine and plague conditions because they will be living under the umbrella of the beast's reign. So the third item is uh, the phrase while they are saying peace and security. Some have suggested that this idea involves only the desire for peace and security and the hope of what they can get through identification with the beast. However, it seems much more likely that these people will have been lulled into spiritual sleep and a false sense of contentment by all the material provisions from the beast. If they are going through great turmoil already, destruction and ruin, then the day of the Lord arrives which pretends sudden destruction, what's the difference? So the expression surely indicates a confidence and even a boasting that proclaims the fact of their peace and security. The term thief in the night indicates an unawareness as to the coming of the thief and a sense of security. Time is not the only issue. But the very idea that the Lord is coming back is something that is not of concern to these people at all. Nor are they concerned about the impending judgments that are supposed to occur when he does come back. This is because, number one, they are living in a sphere of deception through the miracle activities of the beast, as is described by Paul at 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 11, where we find the beast's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not accept the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. And secondly, because they are enjoying the material benefits of the beast's economic system, as is described at Revelation 13.13. I also mentioned earlier what Paul wrote. Know this, first of all, uh, rather, Peter, know this, first of all, that in the latter days, mockers will come with mocking, following their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers have died, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Second Peter three, three and four. Indeed. And instead, they will be occupied with the peace and security provided for them through worshiping the beast. Taking the mark will place them within the economic system of the beast and will provide the material security that allows them to continue with normal life activities like what Jesus mentioned in Matthew 24. It should be added that the point of comparison between the Noah and the second coming generations is the unexpectedness that resulted in an indifferent occupation with the normal activities of life. Although the primary focus is not on the lifestyle, but on the unexpectedness, it needs to be recognized that it is, in fact, the lifestyle that results in being unprepared and unconcerned about the return of Christ. The fourth item refers to the destruction that will come upon them suddenly. The King James renders this phrase as sudden destruction But the Greek is better represented as the uh, New American Standard translates it, come upon them suddenly. This destruction that Paul speaks of refers to the Day of the Lord judgments, which will be poured out on the world very shortly after Jesus removes his people from the earth through the rapture. We don't know how long the delay is for the 144,000 Jews to accept Jesus as the Messiah, according to Revelation 7, 1 through 8. But... Immediately after that sealing is accomplished, the seventh seal will be broken and the seven trumpets that constitute a throwing of God's fire of justice to the earth will begin to sound. At 2 Thessalonians 1, through 6-8, this destruction is identified as repay with affliction and dealing out retribution. For after all, it is only right for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted, along with us, at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Another point of comparison between the Noah generation and the return of Jesus is not the idea that people, that is, unbelievers, are taken all away but simply that judgment comes at the time of the flood the judgment was the water taking them all away at the time of the day of the Lord the return of Jesus the judgment will be the impending judgments from the trumpets this is portrayed symbolically at the sixth seal of revelation 6 As the unbelievers witness the arrival of Jesus in the clouds of the sky, as indeed every eye shall see him, their attitude of peace and security is suddenly and drastically interrupted. Their response is shown symbolically at verses 6, 15 through 17. Then the kings of the earth and the eminent people and the commanders and the wealthy and the strong and every slave and free person hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, symbolically, of course. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, symbolically, of course, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand. These shocked and fearful unbelievers, they won't be taken away. They will be left behind to face the wrath of God through the trumpet and bold judgments. Some claim that it is to be on the very day of the return of the Lord that the judgments begin to come. They base this on Luke 17, 29 and 30, which reads, but on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the son of man is revealed. However, I don't think that the same day factor is intended to communicate that immediately there will be judgment. Rather, it simply communicates the finality of the event. The day of the Lord begins immediately after the rapture, and there is no escape. That is, there is no more opportunity to be part of the rapture, to get into the ark, or to get out of Sodom. But there is no necessity for actual judgment to be poured out on the same day. Actually, there will be a certain time delay before judgment is poured out. Revelation 7 indicates that there needs to be time for the 144,000 Jewish servants to all turn to Jesus. Of course, I suppose that could happen all in the same day, but again, it seems like an unnecessary point to insist that the trumpet judgments will begin immediately. The real issue is the fact that the day of judgment is now here and there will be no escape. Just like the symbolic vision at the sixth seal indicates, as I mentioned earlier, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? The fifth item I want to mention refers to the birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Paul's use of this image is not related to the beginning of birth pains that Jesus used at Matthew 24, 4 through 8. Those beginning of birth pains refers to the uh, normal historical trends that have been going on since uh, the first century uh, to the very day and uh, will continue to occur until uh, they are interrupted actually by the uh, arrival of the beast. Here, At uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, the image is used to express both the suddenness factor and the intensity factor. Yes, even though a woman knows when the time is getting close, there is never any precise predicting. And the final birth pains can start without warning other than the breaking of the water. So also the day of the Lord will come suddenly at an unknown day and hour. It will be immediately preceded by the signs in the sun, moon and stars, and the shaking of the heavens and the earth. Uh, That can probably be equated with this, uh, the breaking of the water. And uh, it will announce the arrival of the Lord. But it will be too late to escape. The phrase, and they shall not escape. Only those who have trusted in Christ prior to those signs will be removed from the earth. All the others will remain behind to feel the direct or indirect effects of the trumpet and bold judgments. Thankfully, God's mercy and desire for all to be saved will still provide the teaching of the gospel. And anyone who has not taken the mark of the beast will have the opportunity to trust in Christ for forgiveness of sins and the possession of everlasting life. The result will be that after the dust settles from the Battle of Armageddon, There will be many believers left alive who will enter into the Davidic earthly kingdom. Thus, the sixth item. Salvation provision. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who trusts in Christ after his return will enter into a salvation relationship with God, just as the 144,000 servants who will be the first ones to trust in him at that time. Now, while these 144,000 servants will be protected from physical harm as they have a unique and special ministry, others who trust in Jesus might encounter physical suffering and even death during that time of the indiscriminate judgment from God that will be unleashed upon the earth. And the beast will still be trying to persecute those who refuse to worship him for his reign continues until the end of the week and actually a little bit uh, into the 30 days after that end of the week. However, there will be many men and women who survive. These will go alive into Christ's earthly kingdom after the battle of Armageddon and will begin a new civilization under Christ's righteous reign. So back to my subject. While those who worship the beast will be living in relative peace and security, those who do not take the mark will experience extreme deficiency of daily essentials. Those who are able to escape the beast's killing machine through the false prophet will live in an underground lifestyle and or uh, live off the land lifestyle. Unbelievers in this situation will face daily the pressures of physical survival and the choice to take the mark of the beast or the choice to believe in Christ as Savior. For believers in this situation, yes, they too will face the pressures of physical survival. But those who trust in the character and plan of God will find comfort, endurance, and joy. Jesus said to the disciples, and the same promises for us as well, at John 16, 33, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And James wrote, Consider it a source of joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Accordingly, we as believers in our Lord Jesus should never lose heart. For even though our outer person is being ruined, yet our inner person is being renewed day by day. Because the present insignificance of our tribulation is producing for us an everlasting weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are everlasting. For we know that if our earthly body is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made by hands forever in the heavens. For our citizenship is in heaven from where we also eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our lowly condition into conformity with his glorious body by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all human comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode.